gonna make him an awfully gamble for you. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're gonna get. 1.21 gigawatts! I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. This is Sparta! There was a firefight! He's looking at you, kid. Hold on to your butts. Welcome to the briefcase. You know, there's a million fine-looking women in the world, dude, but they don't all bring you lasagna at work. Most of them just cheat on you. Hello and welcome to The Briefcase, a show that attempts to encompass everything filmmaking from an independent filmmaker's point of view. I'm your host, Matt, and sitting across from me is the one who knocks, my longtime good times buddy, and most importantly, business partner and co-host, Dave. Dave, how the hell are you? Goddamn right it's Dave. Doing great, brother. How are you? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not too bad on this uh, shitty weather day. Oh, Makes fuck me... yeah. The weather fucking sucks outside today. Makes me want to sleep all day in a cave. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's Oscar Sunday, too, bro. I know you don't uh, so care, care I don't much about personally. it. <laughs> We're recording on what is Oscar Sunday 2019. So by the end of the day, we'll have some Oscar winners, and I will still not care. <laughs> uh, speaking of not caring, before we jump into our actual episode, I'm going to do us a favor and pay all the bills up front. And here we go. This episode is sponsored by The Comic Collective. The Comic Collective is a group who has come together to celebrate and share their love and passion for comics, cosplay, and everything in that growing community. If this sounds like you or someone you know, head over to the Instagram, yes, the Instagram, and search the underscore comic underscore collective and follow them for everything comic book related and more. This episode is also sponsored by the Westchester Fight Club. Are you like me and you made a New Year's resolution to get in shape but haven't lifted a finger yet? Well, have no fear, because the staff over at the Westchester Fight Club will help keep you on track. Their friendly and knowledgeable staff will help you reach any goal you have in mind, whether it's losing a few pounds, learning how to defend yourself, or even getting yourself on a personalized meal plan. Mike Chirico and his dedicated crew will be there every step of the way. So if you're in the greater metro area of New York City, come check out Westchester Fight Club. Now that that's behind us, what's in front of us? Uh, This episode, now that we have put our production history behind us and you're all caught up on why we're doing what we're doing we figured our a good inaugural episode for the actual show would be to talk about uh films that have uh, really made an impact on both of us as the filmmakers we are today uh and for whatever reason whether it's writing directing cinematography uh you know sound design whatever there are tons of fantastic films and it's really hard to narrow it down to talk about them in what is hopefully a 45 minute to one hour episode uh so (laughs) we i know i did personally rack my brain to come up with two films that i found to be very inspirational for me dave i think when i asked you 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 had it immediately yeah i mean these are like the two films that like not would i wouldn't say made me become a filmmaker but it was more like it really drew my interest like what what is it that i'm watching like what is what is this that i'm watching on this screen that i am so um like drawn to yeah you know i was just you know and and these were two films that really inspired me when i was a kid when i was a young uh even before I even knew what was film school or what was filmmaking. Was this back when you wanted to be a fashion designer? <laughs> no, way before I wanted to be. This is way before I wanted to be a fashion designer. 
Um, um, this is this is before I discovered girls. This is before <laughs> I discovered comic books. Hmm. Um, this is before I even um, decided that I wanted to be a football star, which I failed miserably at. <laughs> um, yeah, this is pretty. This is these two films pretty much define my childhood. Nice. And the two films I am talking about is Back to the Future mm. and Goodfellas. Two two of my uh, favorite films. They're definitely in my uh, my upper tier of must watch films. Um, I have a very different uh, reason for picking the films I picked, and it has nothing <laughs> to do with childhood. Because because if I went with my childhood films, it'd be like Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Home Alone. Those were two films I as a kid I got the VHSs and I watched every. And my mom must be so tired of those films. Yeah, um, man, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit was just way ahead of its time for what they did. Oh, absolutely. Like, the technology involved. Um, um, was, like, look at it now, and you're like... Still holds up. Wait, they pulled this off in... Uh, what was it? 1980... I don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah. They, they yeah, oh. he- way ahead of its time. The tech and just... <laughs> but yeah, those... Uh, 1988. Uh, those were the films that I watched incessantly as a child. Uh, but if I... You know, I, I took some time to think about it, and what I came up with was uh, the Usual Suspects and Titus. Um, those two, f- two, two very good films. But I'm not, I'm not gonna lie, I've never seen Titus. What? All right, you know, really quickly, I uh, I reorganized my DVDs and and Blu-rays and stuff, and I don't I don't own too many. I'd say maybe under a hundred, um, but I saw that I had a special edition of Casablanca and I was reminded to ask you have you still not seen it? No, so I haven't seen Casablanca. Right, so we're going to we're going to do we're going to do something about that. I'll drop a bombshell real quick. I've never seen any of The Godfather, so we'll swap. Oh yeah. We'll swap. <laughs> you you yeah. sit me down and watch me The Godfather. I'll sit you down and watch you uh, Titus. Oh, and... I'm I'm totally down for that. <laughs> you know me. I yeah. can watch movies all fucking day, man. Oh, of course. Um but that being said, yeah, those two films both very different. Um, both uh, pivotal for me into really kind of seeing that filmmaking and storytelling was viable as a thing. And then, you know, I, watch, I think watching them as more of a, an adult has really kind of made them inspirational films for me. So, um I mean, let's let's talk about this stuff. So I don't know what you want to tackle first. Back to the Future, Goodfellas. I love both, and you can just go for I'll it. Probably, I'll probably uh, go into Back to the Future first um, because it, it was also my first introduction to like this theory of time travel, Ugh. which as a, which as a kid, just like you know, my mind just exploded. Like, wait, what? There's a car that you know? Because when you're a kid and you watch a movie, you're like. Wait a second. You mean to tell me there's a car that you can drive at 88 miles per hour, travel to wherever you want? You mean to tell and me? Hopefully, not fuck up the space time continuum. You put a time machine in a DeLorean? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I, so yeah, I was the the idea of just time travel. I had no idea what the fuck it was, and you know, I'm here watching this film. Oh Jesus Christ! How old was I? Fuck. Well. It came out in 85. Mm-hmm. So I was probably around four or five years old when when I finally watched this. But but the whole thing that really drew me to it was um, I didn't understand like the whole thing about sequels and how they worked because this was a sequel we had to wait for quite a few years for. Well, part two, yeah. You know, but it was just as, you know, as a kid, I was just drawn to this film. Like the time traveling, going back in time, seeing when your parents met and all that, like... It's such a it's it it's pretty much a almost a fantasy film if you if you think about it you know science fiction. Oh, it's it's heavily science fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Time traveling, you know, the whole nine. Yeah, Doc Brown, the yeah. inventor. Yeah, you know, and fucking you watch Doc die, and then you travel back in time, and Doc's still alive, and you're like, oh my god, is he gonna actually fuck up time, and he's gonna save Doc? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, all these things I'm trying, I'm soaking in as a kid, you know, but. It was just, it was something I owned on VHS, right? And I, it was just like, I see it now with my kid. Like when she watches films, like she'll watch it over and over and over and over. Like go finish and she'll just start again. You know, 
start again. That, you know, now with DVDs, you know, before you had to wait oh, fucking re- to rewind or it. Or put, it, watch it, put it. it in the rewinder. Um, I That's how I was with Home Alone and um, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, yeah. I think it's just a kid yeah, thing. I, th- I think it really is, like, re- repetition, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how many times I've seen Frozen with Sophia or Moana. I've even watched like, uh, Frozen with Sophia. <laughs> yeah, look at that. So, you know, it's... It, 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 back to the Future really takes me back to my childhood, man. So, like, um, they did this really cool thing at Comic-Con a few years ago where, like, if you went dressed as Marty from any of the three movies, they would give you the Pepsi Perfect from the sequel. Mm. So me and Sophia went dressed as both Marty McFly with the with the red vest and everything, and we each got like a Pepsi Perfect. <laughs> you know, it's just like little things like that. But like Back to the Future is just like one of those films that I can sit down and watch again and again and never get sick of it. I think we even did a New Year's party at Rob's, and I think we watched Back to the Future one year. That sounds right, because if I'm not mistaken, Luisa was a huge Back to the Future fan. Yeah, so I I remember we did that on on New Year's and none of us didn't give a shit. We we're like, yeah, whatever, fuck it, put it on, and we watched the whole thing straight through. I mean, we almost had a Rocky uh, marathon this uh, last New Year's, two thousand eighteen into nineteen. So you know, I, nothing crazy about that. <laughs> not at all, man. But you know, and then also like, um, how, like how can you not be a fan of Michael J. Fox as well? He really you was know. like America's sweetheart. Yeah. <laughs> That kid could, like, do no wrong. Uh, and he was squeaky clean, too. Yeah, man. You know, and um, I remember when I was working at a Eric Clapton concert as, like, a production PA. Mm-hmm. And he walked right by me, and I just fucking froze. <laughs> like, fucking Michael J. Fox walked right by me, and, like, I was in mid-sense talking to a friend of mine, and I was just like... Uh, <laughs> it, it happens. I couldn't, I couldn't say a word, nothing. I was just like, oh, my God, I just saw Michael J. Fox. You couldn't even belt out like uh, no, nothing like hey hello nothing. I couldn't say anything. I fucking froze. You couldn't shout. McFly. I just froze. No, no. <laughs> you know, and then um, you know, gotta give credit to Robert Zemeckis for for making this film as well. I think Steven Spielberg produced it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, but Zemeckis. You know, and then I, you know, Ro- I think Zemeckis. Honestly, I'll say it. Uh, underrated director. Honestly. Really, you think he's underrated? I, I mean, he's done such great films. I don't. I don't think. I, guess, he, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves. You think so? Yeah, honestly, I don't. Shit, I, like you don't. Funny, I, I don't even. I don't think he's ever won an Oscar either. Mm, we'll have to. D- about, we'll have to fact check that. But I. I think you might be right. Yeah, yeah Robert Zemeckis. Zemeckis. You know, I mean, he's also done. You know, another f- favorite. You know, fucking Forrest Gump, The Frighteners. Oh, that's right. And he did the Frighteners. See, I, I totally forgot he did the Frighteners. With, again, you, uh, Michael J. J. Fox. Fox. Yeah. Good stuff. I mean, he's... I, see, that's... Uh, yeah, I'm... Personally, I, I think... I think he's a little underrated. I guess... I guess maybe oh, he gets a lot wow. of credit with Forrest Gump, but... Um, yes, he does. Oh, but but check this out. So, fact-checking. Um, in 1986, he was actually nominated as a writer for original screenplay for Back to the Future. Ah, all right. But then one in 95 as director for Forrest Gump. Yeah. Yeah. That makes plenty of sense. Yeah. I think, and I think uh, Tom Hanks also won best actor that year as well, if I'm not mistaken. But, oh, yeah, um, just how, back. really quickly. How stupid am I? He did uh, who framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> so <laughs> See, there you go. So there like, you have it. Sometimes you don't. Robert, Robert Zemeckis was our childhood. There you go. Yep. Um, for other people, you know, a little older is it's always um, the Breakfast Breakfast Club and um, you know all the films uh, that you know that Hughes directed. You know what I mean? Animal House. I mean, you could go on and on. Yeah. But but me, I was a kid, five six years old, and Back to the Future was just on constant play every time in my house. I th- <laughs> like you. Yeah, I think I managed to uh record it off a of television like when Channel 11 or WPIX used to play movies. So I had like yeah. all the commercial. Well, I I I was good. I was a kid, you know. Kids are- You would pause the commercial oh, wait and then hit the pu- pause course. button again. Oh, of course. <laughs> you had to. You really want to watch commercials? Get out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, bef- before I bought my copy of Back to the Future, I had Back to the Future recorded off the TV as well. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how I we had, had to do it. I had, oh, my God. I had tons of stuff recorded off the TV. Absolutely. Channel 11 used to show a lot of good films. I remember recording Mad Max when I was a kid off the television that's as well. 
Oh man, Delta but now Force. Stream, it was always like Delta streaming. Force. But with streaming now, dude, it's like oh, at the touch of your it. hand, forget any it. fucking movie you want. Oh, yeah. Between like Plex and uh, what's the other one? I can't think of it now. Netflix, Hulu. Oh, yeah. Apart you know. from those like apps, you know, now if you're still buying Blu-rays and DVDs, you get you get the extra like the, the download. digital download yeah. like on iTunes yeah. or um, v- whatever. V- uh, v- Voodoo. Voodoo? I think it's oh, called okay. V-U-D-U yeah like all like all these things like I think I would have never uh, left the house if I would have had this as a kid <laughs> forget it so so I would have never gotten anything done <laughs> so let me ask you I would have been watching t- I would have been watching t- TV all day like uh, oh hell there's an HBO show where the, the the mother it was a single mother and she put plopped the kid in front of the TV and he watched TV all day and now I can't think of it you were going to ask me a question? I was. Uh, so what exactly is it about um, Back to the Future that was so, you know, what what kind of set it apart from some other films you'd seen as a kid? I, I understood the story as a kid. As a kid, like, I really understood what was going on. I understood that this guy built a time machine and somehow the Libyans come across Doc Brown. <laughs> who stole their plutonium. Killed, who stole their plutonium. Um, he, comes ac- you know, he comes across the Libyans. He travels back in time. And it just happens to be around the time that his parents met. Right. And he foobarred pretty much the first meeting of his parents, which prevents them from hooking up. So, you know, like I understood, like I felt like as a kid, I remember following the story, like, Oh my God, he's going to die if he doesn't have his parents hook up. Right. You know, he's, he's he's doing all the, the back to the future fade. He's fading out in the photo. Yep. Him and his brother and his sister. Yeah, man. So, and then, and then I understood, like I, it was the story, the script, like as a five year old, four year old, I understood what was going on in front of me and then when he comes back i remember being a little confused as to like why things were different like i didn't understand the ending until i was a little older sure like oh wait he him knocking out biff is pretty much what made his father have a better job his father his father be more successful his brother's working at a better at a law firm i think or instead of at the right the he what what ended up happening was his um, interfering with his father as Darth Vader caused his father yeah. to become an author of science fiction novels. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So the ending, the ending as a kid, I didn't comprehend too much of, as of why things change, mm-hmm. but I followed the story as much as I could up until then. Like he wakes up, he comes back, Doc's alive. He has his, his car, you know, and then Doc Brown shows up and he's like, Marty, we have to go into the future. And I'm like, wait, what? what wait, there's more. <laughs> It's your kids. And then they're assholes. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> your kids are assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and this was the first time that um, the concept of like a sequel, because I still didn't see The Godfather or any other films at this point. Like, like the only thing I knew was Back to the Future, you know, and the sequel didn't come out to like four years later, 1989. Mm-hmm. And then, um... I remember my mom specifically taking me to go see this at the theater on uh, 30-something Street on the west side. But it was if it's one thing that attracted me to Back to the Future, it was the story. Like, I was able to follow it along as a kid. That's, uh, yeah, that's, even now as an adult, uh, I still think as far as time travel movies and stuff are concerned, I think it's probably one of the most cohesive, put-together, detail-oriented, and, like, following continuity yes you can nitpick it and say there's a few things that aren't you know um in league with what has happened and but i think overall like it's one of those time travel films that are just like wow and then you you know you tack on like some cutting edge technology from back in the day and some of it still really holds up i personally think um Mm -hmm. you know performance wise everyone's great in it even crispin glover who's not as creepy yet is just a great job (laughs) And I'll even well, you, <coughs> I'll even glaze over the fact that he Biff is the butler, so to speak, and he tried to rape the mom. I'll I'll glaze over that fact too, you know. But whatever, it's a great film. I don't care. I I love Back to the Future. It's my favorite uh, series. It's my it might be my second favorite trilogy. 
Um, Sophia doesn't call it Back to the Future. She calls it Marty. Daddy, I want to watch the Marty movie. That's what she calls it. <laughs> Daddy, can we watch Marty? I'm like, all right, we'll watch Marty. Nice. Well, you got to start him yeah. somewhere. So, uh, so Alex, you met. Yes. Um, out of uh, what are your two? Well, you already said your two films. I did. But uh, which one really was the first film that you were just like out of the two? Which one was like, wait, this is what the fuck's going on here? Oh, hands down, the Usual Suspects. Um, what what really still draws me to 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 a movie like The Usual Suspects is it was one of the first times I think in film as uh, me watching film. I mean, I'm sure they. I've seen other films subsequently that came out long before that have done this same principle, but it took me as a viewer, as I did a lot of other audience members, and it used the medium of film to mess with the audience members' heads. And uh, for those of you who haven't seen The Usual Suspects, shame on you, but uh, I'm about to drop a giant spoiler in about 30 seconds. Spoiler alert! So the film follows these criminals who all come together at a lineup, and they become very friendly, and then they start talking about doing this big job together to get um, this big bad wolf, so to speak, of the criminal underworld. And you know, this they would be legendary if they they could. And they they get this information, and they're gonna go, um, they're gonna go get him. They're gonna go kidnap him and kill him. And uh, so now here's the giant spoiler. The whole film, you're getting the information from Kevin Spacey's character, Verbal Kint, and he's telling um, Chaz Palminteri, uh, Detective uh, Crap, Bronx Native. Yeah, Bronx Native. Um, you're telling he's telling uh, his character. You know, we uh, he's telling this whole story how the guys got together, how they did these little jobs together. And then, uh, then they go for the big, the big job. They're gonna get Kaiser Soze, and who is Kaiser Soze? And he's this enigmatic human being that is ever reaching, and he can, you know, if he wants to take you out while you're, you know, dropping a deuce on the toilet, he can. And you know, if he wants to kidnap your children, and you know, the whole, he's just the big bad. So, Verbal Kink gives the whole story, and and. As the audience member, you're just like, oh. So as Verbal Kint's telling the story, you're seeing the, um, you're seeing it play out with all the other actors. You know, the fantastic, the oh god, the cast is so amazing. Kevin Spacey, yeah. Gabriel Byrne, Chaz Palminteri, Kevin Pollock, P. Palstewait, Stephen Baldwin, uh, Benicio del Toro, like uh, Giancarlo Esposito, friggin' Gus Gus Fring, like so it's such a great. Uh, no, it's star-studded, man, to uh, the T. Oh, absolutely. I, and I think, and I think this was the film that pretty much catapulted Benicio, right? Like I, this was his big, first big film besides a Big Top Pee Wee, oh, where he played Pee-wee. the Wolfman, <laughs> which he eventually went on to do the Wolfman with uh, Anthony Hopkins too, which is funny. But yes, yes, it's actually it's a it's pretty decent. It didn't get as much uh, credit as it should. That movie It was actually pretty decent. Uh, you know, I I stayed away from it. I don't know why. I think I'm gonna have to check it out. But um, so. You get this whole story. You see it all play out. You watch as one by one. And now here's the spoilers. You watch as one by one. All the main characters bite the bullet and, and go. And the whole time Verbal Kint is telling the story, Kevin Spacey's telling the story, they're making it seem like Gabriel Byrne is the enigmatic Kaiser Soze. So mm-hmm. when a film all ends and everything's done, uh, Chaz Palminteri's character says, all right, you know what? Uh you're free to go. He's just having a friendly chat with him or whatever. Verbal Kin leaves. And just in that last three minutes of film, before the credits roll, it all unravels. And it's finally revealed that the cops, the feds, the C- everybody who was after Kaiser Soze had no clue that Kaiser Soze was just sitting there enjoying a cup of coffee with this detective, spinning this whole tale that is all bullshit. And just as Chaz Palminteri, you know, the, the character sketch comes across the wire, he realizes it was Kevin uh, Kevin Spacey. He runs outside. Kevin Spacey is just gone. And it finishes with the best line of dialogue everywhere, any, anywhere, ever written. And like that, whew, he was gone. Like, oh. So that film to me showed me that there is a way to tell a story in a film that everyone knows 
But like everything, when you learn the rules, only then can you figure out how to break them. And this yeah, movie to yeah. me broke the rules. Like something like, you know, we give we give guys like uh, M Night Shyamalan so much crap. But like, let's be honest. The Sixth Sense, when you saw it for the first time, you didn't know that plot twist at the end. You were blown away. Don't lie to yourself. Oh yeah. Do not lie to yourself. And when when things yeah, like that th- come that, along, believe it, believe it or not, that ending went over my head. I didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. <laughs> I was dude till this day uh fucking Karenbach gives me so much shit for it. He goes, "I will never forget you not understanding the sixth sense at the end." <laughs> That's so To this day he gives me shit for it, dude. I you know, and like it and just for so. some reason it just it's funny like I understood back to the future at 4 or 5 years old. But you couldn't but understand here, the sixth like, sense at like 20. But I didn't I couldn't understand for some reason that ending just went over my head. I don't know what was going on with me at the time? Yeah, yeah. But for some reason, so, you know, and he still gives me but shit to those days. But I think that's the beauty of filmmaking in that vein of the Sixth Sense and the Usual Suspects is a lot of it is in the nuance and the detail. Um, that's one of my favorite parts now, about directing is you have to find, you have to coax out the actor's nuance to make the performance like so much more. And please, if you haven't seen the Usual Sex Suspects, I'm sorry I ruined it for you. But please go out and watch it. There's some fantastic acting. Kevin Spacey, you know, okay, two people, by the way, in this film who are now currently, you know, blacklisted. Pretty by, much fucked. <laughs> yeah, blacklisted by their actions. Kevin Spacey and director Brian Singer. Um, if you can separate yourself from that and just watch art, please, you will see some of the best acting from Kevin Spacey. And he's, Kevin Spacey, up until the whole thing, I still think he's one of the best actors that's ever graced yeah. the screen. Despite yeah, his no, performance, I mean, he, he was amazing in uh, he was amazing in House of Cards, man. But it just yeah. it's a shame now that you know that you know these guys were doing these awful things to you know. But rightfully so, it was brought yeah, young to the light. boys, you know. Yeah, it was it was it was great that it was brought to the light. So, but it, correct me if I'm wrong. Going back to the usual suspects, when uh, Verbal Kent is like spitting out all this stuff at at. Uh, Chaz Palminteri's character, mm-hmm. he's basically reading the bulletin board behind him, right? So, That's how he starts. He starts piecing his own story, like he's, he's basically feeding him bullshit. But it's all from shit that was on the bulletin board, but on behind his desk, right? Basically, yeah. So you know, in that last three minutes, a lot happens in that last three minutes, and one of the things they put together for the audience is that they do like this voiceover. They they do this thing. Who um oh, what the hell's his name? Dan Hedaya plays the sergeant, and he comes in and he's looking at this guy's bulletin board. Um, Detective Kuyan is uh Chaz Palminteri. He's looking at Kuyan's uh, board and he's like, he's like, this place is a friggin' mess. And he's like, no, nah, you got to look at it from a different point of view. It's very organized. I I, I see things. <laughs> and right yep, right then and there. It all starts, he starts to see little things that he was mentioning. Barbershop quartet. I mean, like, orca fat. And these voiceovers from Kevin Spacey's performance are just playing over. And it all just fucking comes together in this big swift kick in the dick. Like, with <laughs> such gusto. And, uh, it's so fantastic. Yeah, uh, Verbal Kent spins this story just using, you know, he's like MacGyver. Spinning a story out of household I- items. It's just Kobayashi... Ah, uh, so good. Redfoot, so so good. So this this the impact of this film on me. It wasn't. There's not amazing cinematography. You know, it's it's a bit suspenseful. It's a, a bit of a thriller. There's definitely crime. It's, it's in the writing, bro. Again, it's yes. in the writing. Uh, Christopher McCreary, fantastic writing. Yep. And then and then let's again go back to that star-studded cast to take the writing and push it up to the next level. The the most infamous uh, interrogation scene where they're all at the lineup. Totally ad libbed, mm-hmm. you know. They were all just supposed to read it normally. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. Give me the fucking keys, you fucking cocksucker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just, it just fantastic performances. So yeah, this was that that and, one film that told me like, you could be a storyteller, but you could and, be and, a great and sticking storyteller. with the sticking with Oscar Sunday, um, Christopher M- McQuarrie. I'm sorry. Yes, McQuarrie. McQuarrie. Yeah, Academy Award for Best Screenplay. Absolutely. Yeah, he he won he won the Oscar for best screenplay, and deservedly so. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's he's gone to written a bunch of other like really cool um, 
how do you say action yes. films yeah um he did fallout he's done the mission impossible films jack mm-hmm. reacher mm-hmm. edge of tomorrow i guess he's best friends with tom cruise because he's writing all of <laughs> he's all over tom, tom cruise's tom films yeah um but yeah man like another another oscar film that you know we at back then i didn't understand what that was you know yeah yeah you definitely you know we don't get that we didn't get that as kids we, yeah we mean we don't we didn't understand award ceremonies per se i mean i still don't but mm-hmm. that's that's just a personal problem <laughs> um but yeah man just the ability to tell stories and and to use it it's a lot like magic and I'm I'm a big magic fan. I, I'm not gonna lie. I was a huge like when I was a kid. I taped David Copperfish Copperfield specials off TV, and I watched David him. Copperfish. David Copper <laughs> David Copperfield. The biggest magic trick he ever pulled was landing Claudia Schiffer. Like, let's be real. But um, <laughs> but uh, I used to tape those specials and watch them over and over again. And the that's thing, funny. The, I didn't know that. The thing, I didn't know you were into magic like that. <laughs> I still am. I love magic. Um, Penn and Teller, some of the best magicians on the planet. But there's a reason. Oh, yes. There's a reason magic works. It ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, it's a con game. You're suspending your belief that magic isn't real, and you're saying magic's real because you want to be tricked. You want magic to be real. So you watch this film like The Usual Suspects, and you have these uh, tropes that filmmakers use, and you sit there as an audience, as an educated audience member, no less, and you you say to yourself, okay. The, they're telling, they're showing me vid- visual footage. They're giving me visual clues that Gabriel Burns the villain. And so you believe it hook, line, and sinker the whole time. And they use all of that. Like magicians, they use that against you. And they just, they give you that, you you know, you're, you're blocking the jab, but you never see the left hook coming. And it's, mm. it's just great. I love that. I love being so surprised at the end of a, of a story. I won't even say a film. Whether it's a play, uh, a book, I love being surprised at the end. You know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like you know, that to me that's treating your audience like valued members. You know, you're you give them such a great payoff, especially the ones that are really like film nerds and really into this stuff. You give them such a payoff and I think it's so great. <sighs> yeah, that's I think that's why we're we're concentrating so much more now on our writing. Yeah. Than than ever because it's I mean, if if you don't have a good script, man, it's it's hard to pull it off and you see it now with some blockbusters. You know, you you, oh, you yeah. go and you see these amazing films, and they're shot visually, and credit to the crew and the special effects people. But then they invested so much money into the special effects and 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 crew that they kind of lag on the writing concept of of the film. Oh, of course. You know, we. I think I mentioned some. I made some joke like, "Don't forget to include a budget for audio if you're an independent filmmaker," because. You know, audio is just as important as visual. But if you've got a terrible, like if you build a house on a swamp, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. You build a house in the desert. What do you think is going to happen? You know, got quicksand. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? You got a bad script. You're not going to have a good movie. No amount of amazing special effects or great audio or, you know, fantastic performance is really going to revitalize a crap script. Now, there are exceptions, but for the most part. If your script sucks, you know, why bother? Yeah. And I think that's that's where we're <laughs> at much. with things. We have a there's a there's a great video series which I implore if you're a filmmaker you go check out uh The Nerd Writer on YouTube. Great series. He's not paying me. Ah, uh, yeah. He's not paying me to say this. I'm just a big fan of his. Um he had a video called uh The Rise of Passable Films. And I think that's where we are with filmmaking nowadays. Hollywood films are very passable. You know, the, and my my uh, description of a passable film is someone says to me, hey, uh, well, you seen any good movies lately? And I'm like, oh, I watched that movie such and such. Like, how was it? And my response is, yeah, it was all right. Be wowed by your films. If you don't like a film in the first 10, 15 minutes, your, your gut is telling you it's going to suck. Yeah. Go see good yeah. films. Seek out good films. It's like music. It's like anything. Anything worth a damn is worth seeking out. So, the nerd it, writer. It, 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 but it shows, like, it, it goes to show you, like, how, how important writing is. Like, for example, I took Sophia with me to see the Lego movie. And me being the dad that I am, snug into another movie. <laughs> right? So, she was, she enjoyed, the, I enjoyed the Lego movie just as much as she did. Um, there's a story. You follow the story. It's nothing crazy or complicated. 
And, you know, beginning, middle, and end, and she enjoyed it. She followed it. She was attentive the whole time. And then we sneak into Alita. And it's all this crazy eye candy, amazing special effects, the stuff they pulled off. But the writing, like, she, like at times, like, I looked at her, and she would just be, like, so bored and not into it. So it's it's like, you know, this small little human is taking in this you know special effects film and she's not really entertained by it mm-hmm. which is crazy i thought she was gonna say oh i liked it it was really cool a lot of action you know but no she's like no daddy i enjoyed the lego movie better i was <laughs> like wow interesting you know event no completely interesting man but it just goes to show you how important writing is sure you know don't don't skip out on the writing you could you could you could take forever to write a script which is fine but just try to be do your best as, uh Write the best script you possibly can. Yeah, man. It, Don't just settle. Like, I, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't beat it into people so much that, like, listen, you need to write a good script. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because we have worked on something that had a terrible script, and mm-hmm. it fell apart. Not only because oh, yeah. the script was trash, but because the higher ups let's say, of the project mm-hmm. we were hired for, um, were very inexperienced. So when when I asked questions about the script, they were met with puzzled looks, you know. So, I mean, again, you want to you wanna hire a crew and a cast? The only person that's going to love your project as much as you do is you. But now your task is to make sure that everyone on the project understands why the project is important. And you do that with a great script. So I, I, I Absolutely. I don't know what else to say. Um, Absolutely. So at the jump, I said we picked two films. Uh, and now let's, let's hear from your second film, Dave. So I started developing a really unhealthy attraction towards mobster films. We all did. At a at a very young age, like I'm the first. Well, I consider a gangster film was Scarface. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't. I've I've owned the double VHS of Scarface. I've owned it on DVD. I have it on Blu-ray. Name it. I've I have it. It's it's one of my all-time favorites, and it's one of Matt's all-time most hated films of all time. Scarface. Yes. <laughs> But then um, after Scarface, because my family's weird. We have this really weird Thanksgiving tradition where we sit down and we watch Scarface after having Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> of, of all the films you can pick, we pick that one. And which, we've been doing it strong for God knows how long. Which is why I don't go over for Thanksgiving. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, but then um, I think it was the lady that ended up giving my mom the apartment. She goes, have you ever seen Goodfellas? And I'm like, no. I was like, well, if you like gangster films, you got to watch Goodfellas. And, you know, I, I came out around 1990. And I think I didn't watch it until maybe 94, 95. Mm-hmm. And by this time, I was thinking junior high or about to enter high school. And I discovered Goodfellas. And I watched this thing just as much as I watched Back to the Future. I mean, I was I was attracted to the violence. I was attracted to the cursing, the the lifestyle of them having money and not giving a fuck. Like, I was attracted to that. And it's even now in the hip hop culture, like two things they always reference is Goodfellas and Scarface. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it it just shows you like a kind of a uh, uh, culture. Uh, the, what is it? Uh, the, um, not culture. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, pop culture. Okay, I guess you know, like you know, it's it's part of pop culture now. Goodfellas and Back to the Future and Scarface. You know, always mentioned in, in hip hop. I was uh, but, I was reading something very quickly. Uh, in 2000, uh, it was. This is from the Wikipedia. The film Goodfellas was quote. It was deemed, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant and selected for, the preserva- selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the United States Library of Congress. Its content and style has been emulated in numerous other films and television shows. So, look at that. There you have it. And then, and then I started, like, digging. Like, this is where I discovered Martin Scorsese. 
one of the like, all-time oh, greats. Scorsese, all right. I was like, okay, let me see. Let, let me see what this guy's done. What, you know, what like, else then has this like, guy done? <laughs> what else is this? And then Who's you know, I discovered. Guy? I discovered Mean Streets, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, and it, it, and then I think, and then not too far down the line, Casino came out, which is. Mm-hmm. And another great one, you know. So then it it just that movie put me on to like all the other stuff that he's done in the past that mm-hmm. I just became a big fan of. You know, eventually with Taxi Driver, like I spoke about Taxi Driver, it was like one of my least favorite Scorsese film Scorsese films until I learned to appreciate why it's such an important film for the time it came out. Remember, it came out mid seventies, I think, mm-hmm. and and you know, I was like I didn't know nothing about that time. You know, I was born in eighty one. Sure, you know, so. I learned to appreciate Taxi Driver after a while, but but yeah, Goodfellas is like it. it Goodfellas is like now what kind of like started steering me. Like, hey, there's a art form to this. This is this is called movie magic. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you know the his lighting. Then I started looking into the lighting techniques, mm-hmm. and then the camera techniques, and then all the other stuff that's involved in Goodfellas. But like I said, I started developing this really like unhealthy attraction towards gangsters and stuff and then i come to find out i was like henry hill oh henry hill is an actual person mm-hmm. let me look up on that let me do some research on henry hill and then he would come on howard stern every so often up until the day he died i think mm-hmm. um and talk about all the shit you know he's gone through when he while he i think he got arrested because when he went one time on the howard stern show he kind of fled his protective custody, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, jeez. And went on the Howard Stern show just to talk to him. And then at one point they were like following a film crew was like following him around. He's like, yeah, this is where we, sh- this is where that kid spider supposedly is buried when they killed him. You know, um, Michael, um, Imperioli, I think that's his name. He plays spider and he, he plays Christopher and on Goodfellas. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah Michael was, Imperioli. Yeah, and he was just driving around, like, you know, just giving all these things and these facts. And just like, yo, dude, like, you're about to go to jail. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Wow. You know, but but going back to Goodfellas, man, I, like, I just, like, I really started looking at the aesthetics of filmmaking. Your camera, your lighting, you know, dialogue. Like, I really started looking into that even before I even knew that I wanted to go into film school. You're starting to see it all kind of come together in this big production. Yeah. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, this this is what it takes to make a film, you know, and, you know, little by little, and then finally come to, you know, f- if you want to call it film school at Bronx Community College. Yeah. And the professor, uh, J- uh, Jeff Wasowski, he was a big fan of Scorsese, and we would always talk about Scorsese and always show me little tidbits of things and tricks that he's done with his, like, you know, his director of photography or his his lighting guy. Like, if you look at Scorsese's film, it, his, his harsh lighting like a lot of people started ripping from him from his lighting director Mm -hmm. he would just like blast like a like one light right directly into the table and just have it just bounce everywhere like it would hit the way it would hit the glass it would reflect off the glass and reflect on the actors and it just it just looked sexy as fuck like there's no other word way to describe it (laughs) well the lighting i mean we stole that for uh based on a true story yeah, yeah, we did. Remember, I told you, I was like, "Oh, look, this is what they do in in you know in Goodfellas. Yep. They, they put the one light here, and it just you know bounces off the table and goes everywhere." Creates Salt Lake City. Shadows. Um, uh, when you, if you listen to the to the um audio commentary for SLC Punk, mm-hmm. um, he says that there's a scene that they stole the lighting trick from Goodfellas that his DP was just like, "Yo, let's just put a light right here, and it'll just bounce everywhere." And there's, there's this one scene in a bar that they did. And they did the exact same thing. Listen, so. if you're going to steal, steal from the masters. Pretty much. Pretty much. And that, that film so, is masterful. I mean, so that was really my attraction to Goodfellas and everything. I mean, and my parents weren't too crazy about me watching it, but they were like, you know, fuck it. You know, it's better that he's at home watching movies and being outside on the streets. You know what I mean? Doing like, that's the stuff. way they. Yeah, that's the way they were looking at it. You know, they're like, "Oh, it's too violent." Do you, do, you, do are you attracted to? I was like, "No, I'm not attracted to that." But like, I understand it's a movie, not in the way you, you know, think uh, I'm attracted yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah, no, like they thought it was like, yo, we're like, are we like raising a psychopath over here? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And this was, and this was like, like I could only imagine if I I got into like all these films, mm-hmm. like when you know uh, when Columbine first happened. Like, my, my mom would have probably had a fucking heart attack. 
you know, thinking that, oh my God, this is what you're going to, you know, grow up to be. I was like, nah, chill mom. <laughs> yeah. So, don't be so dramatic. This is the, the, it's a movie. I understand. It's a movie. I appreciate that it's a movie. It's movie magic. Okay. Absolutely. So, yeah. That, that's my uh, stint on uh, Goodfellas. I mean, some great, great performances. Joe Pesci won the Oscar for Best Supporting. Um, you know, you have quintessential De Niro being De Niro, uh, Ray yeah, Liotta. I think Scorsese. I think Scorsese did get nominated, but I don't think he won. They um they he got nominated he, for he, uh, Best Picture, Best Director, uh, and three others, which I don't see on my list right now. But Pesci. Uh, oh, supporting. Again, okay. I, I could go right now into like a rant of like my beef with the Oscars, even though I still watch it every year. <laughs> Mate, we'll, I mean, <laughs> we'll save that for a special Oscar episode. <laughs> I'll just say this real quick. Like I could, I can't wrap my head around like he couldn't win for Raging Bull. We're talking about Martin Scorsese. Scorsese for yeah, best director. of course. He couldn't win for fucking Raging Bull. He didn't win for Taxi Driver. I don't even think ta- Taxi Driver was nominated for best director. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Goodfellas again. He it took him to do a remake, which hurts to say. It took him to do a remake, The Departed, for him to finally win. No, wait, did he win for The Departed or Wall, Wolf of Wall Street? Mm, not Wolf. Yeah, Best Director, two thousand seven, The Departed. Yeah, so it took him eons to finally get his uh, his best uh, his best directing Oscar. And uh, hopefully uh, Spike Lee will win tonight, too, as well. Another guy that, you know, that's been making great films since, God, what, 20 years old or something like that? Yeah, Do the Right Thing, and, Jungle uh, Fever. Mm-hmm. Oh, he was... So. Sorry, uh, really quickly, Scorsese was nominated for uh, Wolf of Wall Street, um, Gangs of New York, The Aviator, Hugo... Goodfellas, Jesus Christ, The Last Temptation oh my of Christ, and Raging Bull. He was becoming. He I'm was glad he didn't becoming, win for Hugo. Yeah, well, Hugo was a good film. It was. <laughs> he he was DiCaprio before DiCaprio. Are you kidding? He was almost before DiCaprio. He was almost Susan Lucci. <laughs> Girl couldn't win a daytime Emmy to save her life. Jesus Christ. Uh, whatever. Hey, you know what? <sighs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. Like that Oscar should have been given to him several times over and then to have him win for the departed was kind of like you know it was almost like a participation trophy but that's a whole that's a story for another day so yeah so uh, our, our beef with the oscars will wait for a later episode it'll be in a it'll but be a full-fledged episode that's my short little stunt on, on my beef with the oscars okay, well. um so uh let's uh moving on to your second film yes which i personally have never seen uh-huh but I have seen other movies from the director. Yes. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the director is the same director that did um, Across the Universe. Julie Tamar. Correct. Yeah. Right? Okay. All right. So I know her style of filmmaking. Uh, big fan of, um, you know, the, Across the Universe because um, I love the Beatles. You are in good so, company. Yeah. So, I mean, the. So, yeah, tell me about Titus. So, uh,. Titus is based on the Shakespearean play of a similar name, Titus Andronicus, and it stars... You want to talk about a star-studded cast? I will tell you about a star-studded cast. <laughs> Anthony Hopkins, Jessica Lange, Alan Cumming, uh, you know... Oh, fucking Alan Cumming. I miss that guy. He's so good. Uh, Laura Fraser, uh, Harry Lennox. Harry Lennox. Harry fucking Lennox. Oh, God, Harry Lennox. Um, Jonathan Reese Myers, his brother Matthew Reese. Uh, just oh, so good. So the story is very, I'll, I'll do my best to be very brief about it. Um, uh, Was it uh, Hopkins plays um, a Roman general who comes back from war abroad uh, to find that the uh, the seat is open for emperor. And they want to elect him, but he turns it down. He's like, I'm, I'm not interested. And, um, geez, I don't even like the, I, I, so I have a tough time wrapping my head around some Shakespeare and it's been a while since I've watched this, but, uh, they bring, he, he has these, um, prisoners. They fought the barbarous goths, they call them 
not to be confused with kids with black nail polish and makeup. Um, <laughs> I always laugh when they call them the barbarous goths because I just I just envision really pale kids uh, dancing with curtains and punching midgets. If you're a goth kid, you know what that means. <laughs> if you don't, look up dance moves, punching midgets, dancing with curtains. Um, so there's a uh, there's a vacancy, and the the dead emperor's sons, uh, played by Alan Cumming and um, Oh, hell, what's his name? Uh, mm. They are fighting over who should be the new emperor, and it becomes this all-out fight. Uh, eventually, uh, Alan Cummings' character, character uh, Saturninus, Saturninus, sure, he wins the seat, and then he decides to take the queen of the Goths as his queen. And so now, in tri- typical um, Shakespearean tragedy fashion, it just gets horrible and just i mean like it just the her children are absolute bastards um she's been having an affair with harry lennox's character which is forbidden and oh just there's um madness rape it's a shakespearean tragedy um the thing about julie tamar's interpretation of this film because she actually went on to do the tempest as well which is another good one uh, she approached this very differently and made it almost there's a lot of um visual elements that are modern as in they drive cars and they have motorcycles but um it still takes place in a very kind of medieval setting there aren't guns there's still swords um they wear armor as in like plate armor that you would see roman centurions wearing um there's just a there's a very big juxtaposition of time periods and visuals like the kids the sons wear like these like slick leather coats um and meanwhile uh Lavenia wears you know flowy gowns and stuff and it's just so visually stunning and that's the first thing that grabbed me about it second was obviously these gigantic performances from heavy hitters like Jessica Lange and Anthony Hopkins and Alan Cumming and Henry fucking Lennox like fuck man and um the just the whole film packs such a punch for me as a film goer and it was another thing where I sat there and I watched it and I said okay so you can make films that don't necessarily have to be in any particular time period you can invent your whole visual landscape as you see fit. Not that I didn't understand the concept of a medieval film, you know, things like Lord of the Rings where he invented this whole world and, and an elvish language mm. and stuff like that. This was very different than things like that. They created this whole huge, I won't even say huge, I won't say huge. They created this this world, this, in, this Rome for them to live in and... It wasn't like it was any. It was everything you'd ever seen before. Like I said, motorcycles and cars, but then there were swords. So you knew this stuff was all familiar. And again, it just it it allowed me to know that you could do that. It's it's your movie. You could do whatever the fuck you want. Just mm. make sure the audience believes it. And it's mm. really tough to kind of tell someone about this film to be like, oh yeah, they're they're campaigning, and he's in a car. But they don't shoot each other because they have swords. Uh, what? Like Romeo, mm-hmm. like the modern Romeo and Juliet with uh, DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Instead of swords, they all have guns, and it's a mm-hmm. modern, you know, Venice Beach kind of take on things. Well, this isn't that. It's very, it's just very different, and just, and then to see such high caliber performance, and to know like, you know, we we think of villains, and we think of immediately guys like Darth Vader. Uh, we think of Maleficent. We think of like the atypical, they all wear black and they're scary villains. But Harry Lennox and Jessica Lang do such a great job of being these villains that like you understand and you still hate them. It, it just, it's a thing about filmmaking and storytelling that I love is like, you're not supposed to root for the villains. And yet here I am like, overly excited about their their another uh, salute their their monologues and the things they have to say and obviously a testament to Shakespeare and his writing is just how well written it is but to take the 
fucking written word off the page and make it come alive is so exhilarating as a film goer. And I thought the film was older. I mean, look at it. It was released in uh, February 11th of 2000. So it's not even no. that old as old as like the other films we talked about. Here's a funny story. The first time I watched uh, Titus, I rented it from a blockbuster. I also rented. <laughs> Wait, was it the blockbuster that was on? On um... no, it was, there was a there's a blockbuster around the corner. There was a blockbuster around the corner from where I currently live. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't the one on Broadway. Okay. Although I frequented that one too. Not only did I rent Titus, I also rented my other, my favorite uh, horror film of all time, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The original. The original. And so I watched The Texas Chainsaw Massacre and was like, whoa. And then I watched Mm -hmm. Titus and I was like, whoa. (laughs) What a night. Um, But ever since that first watching, it's it's stayed with me. And it's a film that I constantly go back to when it comes to like just seeing fantastic performance from seeing like very fanciful visuals um and not just and and not just the set dressing not just the character design uh costumes not just that but there's a lot of um very uh out of this world visuals a lot of um symbolic visuals very it's a very symbolic film and it's not too like you know, uh, out of grasp. You can sit and watch it and really pick it up. I think, though, some people aren't very good at um, following Shakespeare. So if you if you really want to watch it, you got to watch it like two or three times, so you have a good idea. What's oh, because they they speak in the whole like Shakespeare- Shakespearean. Shakespearean. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right, oh, yeah. Cool. And that's another thing that I really enjoy. Um, Much Ado About Nothing, really quickly, uh, by Joss Whedon. Um, Black and White was shot uh let's see it's 2019 i'd say i think it came out in 2015 or 16 they did the shakespearean speech but they made it very modern you know mm-hmm. so you know there's examples of that if you're a fan of that there's plenty of it and if you're not there's other reimaginings where they um they don't use shakespearean so you know akira uh kurosawa did throne of blood which is his lady uh which is his uh Macbeth, rather a lot of mm-hmm. um a lot of takes but titus uh love it I'm gonna sit sit down, you know. I'll bring my vape pen, and we'll. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if you we'll, should vape we'll, the first time. We'll, we'll we'll go on a journey on this journey of Titus. On this I'm, journey I'm of Titus, gonna watch it. I, in my opinion, Anthony Hopkins is one of the best actors. This is one of his absolute best roles. Just mm. so good. Uh, all right, I'm sold, man. I mean, you know me. I'll I'll watch it. I'll watch anything. Yeah. yeah. Except Scarface. <laughs> I <laughs> I will watch it. Oh, you know, to be fair, they re-released it back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And I said, you know what? I'll go watch it. And I watched it and I said, okay. I, I don't... I un- it has really great elements of filmmaking in it. I man. agree. No, I, you know? I don't... Listen, I don't hate Scarface. I just find that I think, for me, Scarface is overrated. I think I think a lot of people point to Scarface for elements that aren't even that great about the film i know a lot of gotcha. like, the, the, the more of like the gangster mentality of it correct everybody points out for the yeah. gangster mentality of it like you know here's this rags to riches story of this guy who comes and mm. he just makes a drug empire like okay i get it that's yeah. that's the new american yeah. dream great i mean you, you gotta watch you also gotta watch the original one too from the 30s right you gotta watch that one as well i mean completely different you know of course Shot, it's the the only thing that i think that's similar um is that his um, his sister in the original one from the 30s? I, I remember her being a little bit more crazy. Like she's the one like that goes and goes uh, off, kind of almost like Bonnie and Clyde ending. Mm-hmm. But she was like, "No, let's do this. Let's take over the cops." And you know, she tries to like. I think I've only seen it once, so I can't remember it so so vividly. But I think she's the one that like starts shooting at the cops and stuff. Like she starts biting like, off more than she could chew. Yeah, she's like, "Hey, we got this. Let's do it." You know. But two things I'll say about Scarface before we wrap this up is that if you look at it again, watch it with just the camera. If you look at just the camera, Mm -hmm. the way it's shot, the camera is always moving. Mm, Always moving. Not a static shot. That's one thing to take. Exactly. There are static. There's a few static shots in the film, I believe, um, just for um, just the position. Mm -hmm. But I think. if I'm not mistaken, the camera's always moving. And gotcha. that was one thing that Brian De Palma wanted to do with this film. And the other thing is that they used kind of like a horror movie score for the film. 
Hmm. Okay. Like it's not your it's not your typical. I mean, it has that, that you know that cheesy eighties you know yeah. push it to the limit Ugh. you know. But the actual soundtrack, the score of the film, they use a lot of like horror horns and stuff like that in it. So that's like two things to keep in mind. Interesting. If you're ever gonna rewatch it, yeah. I'll re. No, so I like have I said, no problem rewatching yeah, it. Yeah, like I said, it has it has two great aesthetics of filmmaking, and it's the camera movement and the mm-hmm. score. Two things that like and that that you know you don't you rarely see in a gangster film or you know what i mean like ho- like horror mo- like score really sure. and it worked it worked great well there you go i mean i mean brian De Palma's a great director he's he's lauded as a great detect- director and and you know his birth of work just is a testament to that so yeah i'll for you guys listening, I will sit down and I will watch Scarface again, and I'll report back to you as to what I think about it now as a near 40-year-old man as opposed to a 22-year-old <laughs> shit-faced kid, you know what I mean? <laughs> so. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, according to the clock on the wall, we have to get going, but fear not. In our absence, we have some links for you to check out while you wait with bated breath for the next episode. If you love Instagram, we're over there. Just find us at briefcase underscore productions. You can marvel at some beautiful photography taken by none other than David C. Diaz of Briefcase Productions fame. Uh, You can also head over to the Briefcase Productions website, which is briefcaseproductions.com. There you'll be able to check out some of the projects uh, we've mentioned in previous episodes. Uh, You can uh, keep up on what we're doing. You see behind the scenes footage, uh, photos rather. the music videos we've done, just about, you know, most of our work. We're still currently um, in the process of adding more because as we have been doing these episodes, we found out that we've missed stuff <laughs> in our own quote-unquote Like, hey, career. what about this one that we, you know, spent three days doing? <laughs> oh, yeah, that one too. Oh, yeah, let's, let's throw it on there. Totally forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that sort of stuff happens. But you keep in touch, and you can keep in touch, rather, with us over there. There's a, a mail section. So if you want to shoot us a message and tell us how awesome we are or how terrible we are, we will definitely respond to you uh, because we've got nothing really better to do. Ha-ha! <laughs> But uh, with that being said, we will uh, take our leave. On behalf of David and myself, I want to thank you for checking in with us because we, of all people, know that time is precious. And since you have decided to spend your time with us, we are eternally grateful. Whatever is left in your day, make it good. And please, 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 please watch more movies. We'll see you next time.